Good morning. Welcome to Mechanicsville Baptist for worship. We are glad that you have decided to join us today. The uh, bulletin has a tear-off portion. If this is the first time uh, visiting the church, please fill that out. Put it in the offering plate as it goes by. We also have a place for prayer requests. If anyone would like to write a prayer request, just put that in the offering as well, and we will pray with you about this that this week. So on the back of your bulletin, we have some announcements for the week. Just some reminders as well. Uh, Wednesday night is our roast pork dinner. We've got lots going on on Wednesday night. There's a fellowship breakfast this week, Thursday, at 7 a.m. Where does that meet, Tim? Uh, Cold Harbor. At Cold Harbor. So everyone's welcome to join. Mm -hmm. And uh, glad to have you there this week, the 23rd. And then Saturday is our youth fundraiser and dinner theater. We have one week left to sell tickets so we would like for you to go is there anybody here i did this in the early service who has tickets that available for you to sell raise your hands all right it looks like it's just me today so uh we have all all the youth parents basically terry has them i have some the church office still has some they did say the early service if you don't have a ticket please still come on saturday it's at five o'clock Tickets are $10 for adults, $5 for youth, and we just would like to get as close a count as possible before the event. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a fundraiser for our summer mission trip to Georgia. We're doing Hispanic ministry there and our summer camp to South Carolina as well as some other things. So we would love for you to participate. Again, 5 o'clock this Saturday, we'll be selling tickets Wednesday night at dinner as well. So please uh, consider supporting us for that. Uh, also, two weeks from today, I believe, is our... Uh, rededication of the Family Life Center. We're going to have a lunch after this service over there, so everyone's invited two weeks from today as we celebrate that. Thank you for being here this morning.
Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you to, the, to this day as grateful people who are acknowledging the work of the cross. And God, may we be people who are grateful that you gave your life in such a way that your name, Jesus, might be exalted and lifted up above every other name. God, as we come to worship, may you be magnified, may you be glorified, may you be the very center of our hearts and our attention, and may you have the service to do as you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Would love for you to stand and worship God this morning as we focus on the cross. So if you would please stand, we're looking at page 140, down at the cross.
Turn with us to responsive reading number 683, Cross, Suffering, and Death. I will read the light portion, and together the congregation will do the darker portion. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Amen. You may be seated. Actually, you can stay standing. (laughs) We're going to continue standing, and we're going to sing hymn 141, that familiar, precious old hymn, The Old Rugged Cross.
Shall we pray? Oh, Lord, as we bow before you, we do so with thanksgiving in our hearts for the gift that you have given to us, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are grateful that you have blessed us. We are grateful that we have an opportunity to give back to you a portion of what you have given to us. Bless these gifts. Bless their use as we seek to share the message of the gospel in our community and around the world. In the name of Jesus, amen.
yesterday at around 3 o'clock, Hallie Chenault passed away. Many of you uh, are familiar with that name. Hallie was 105. She would have been 106 in May. The uh, memorial service will be this week sometime, uh, Wednesday or beyond, uh, at uh, Monaghan Funeral Home. And uh, you will see those details as the week progresses, but uh, the family will meet uh, at the funeral home. And uh, one of the difficulties of trying to plan a funeral on Sunday is the cemeteries are closed. And so it's difficult to get an accurate time because you have to... Um, coincide with what the cemetery is able to do. But remember her family, her, her children, uh, in your prayers and their families as they deal with the loss of uh, Hallie this week. Let's bow for prayer. <clears throat> oh Lord, as we come into your presence again on this day, we are grateful and undeserving of your grace. We come with thanksgiving in our hearts for the gift of grace, for the blessings of life, and for the power of the cross to save. We pray, Father, that as we gather here, as we remember one another in prayer, as we remember those, Father, who are dealing with illness for those who are shut in at home, Whatever their struggle may be, we give them to you. And pray, Father, that you will work in their lives and minister in ways, Father, that they can feel the power of your presence. We pray for healing and hope and assurance. And Father, for those who have lost loved ones in recent days, the pain is very real and difficult to overcome. And yet, Father, we seek comfort from the presence of your Spirit in the lives of those who are dealing with loss. We are grateful, Father, that we can find hope in the gospel, in the power to redeem and to save. We pray, Father, for our missionaries that here, here and around the world. We pray for their work in places, Father, that we aren't willing to go, and yet they are, and so we pray and we give to support their work. For the message, Father, they share is the message that can indeed transform lives one at a time and even the world. We're thankful for our country. We pray for our leaders we pray for their wisdom, their courage. We pray that they will seek guidance from you. We're grateful, Father, for the military and for their families and for the sacrifices they are willing to make to keep us free so that we can worship and so that we can celebrate your love, not only here, but around the world. Help us, Father, to concentrate on you. To put all other thoughts out of our minds as we seek to come to terms with your cross. In the name of Jesus, amen.
Well, if you don't notice in the bulletin, I'm supposed to sing. I woke up this morning with no voice. <laughs> so guess who's going to be our special music today? You. Years ago, when I was growing up, we used to have what was called singspirations. I don't know if y'all ever had that, but we called them singspirations in the church that I grew up in. And we would come together as a group, and we would just raise our hands and throw up our favorite hymn numbers, and we would just sing them. So I'm not going to do that part today. But since we're focusing on the cross, um, Linda and I, we've chosen three cross songs, and we're going to sing one verse of each of those. So if you turn in your hymnals to page 136... Are you washed in the blood? After we sing verse one thirty, verse one of one thirty six. If you just flip over to the next page, and then we're going to do one thirty eight, which is at Calvary, and we'll do that first verse, and then the very next page after that. It's nice that they group these together, isn't it? And the next page after that, one thirty nine, is at the cross, and we'll do the first verse of that. So once again, it's the first verses of one thirty six. 138 and 139 and I want to hear you all sing because I can't sing this morning (laughs) and you can stay seated for this
Mike Rosser's dad, Ron Rosser, used to always bring me water every Sunday morning when I was in Madison Heights. So every time I get water, I think of your dad, Mike. Can't help it. He always made sure that I had water. Now, that doesn't mean somebody's got to do that because I don't always need it, but today I thought it's better. I may not take a sip, but I have it um, in case. Our scripture passage this morning is found in the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Understanding the Cross. Last week we looked at understanding our mission, and this week we want to uh, look at the cross. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah are one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The themes belonging to this section of Matthew concluding in chapter 17 are the central ones of the gospel. Christ, his church, and his cross. Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ and Jesus' response with respect to the creating of his church and the cross as the way of triumph for himself and his church mark the turning point in all of the synoptic gospels. In brief, the gospel is the proclamation of what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ, climaxed in his death and resurrection and embodied in the people whom he has created and is creating The church. The gospels devote nearly a third of their length to the climactic last week of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John saw death as the central mystery of Jesus. Our text reveals that the disciples' recognition of Jesus as the Messiah marked a new departure in Jesus' teaching. After the disciples realized that Jesus was the Messiah, they needed to know what his true mission as a Messiah was. They needed to understand the cross. They had to put away their dreams of Messiah who would come for Israel alone to overthrow its enemies. It was necessary for the disciples to see Jesus as the sin bearer for all humankind and to know that he was the Messiah who would become the savior of all humankind by way of the cross. You see, the disciples 
were still under the impression that Jesus would be a Messiah who would overthrow them from Roman oppression. Their vision was very small. They did not understand that what Jesus' mission was, was to come and to redeem all the world. Did his own nation understand the cross? No, they rebelled against the idea of a Messiah on a cross. Did his disciples understand the cross? No, Peter's reaction to Jesus' announcement of his coming rejection and death plainly shows this delusion. Those influences by Greek philosophers in the past were sure that people belittled God by saying that he could be affected by human actions or pain. Do we understand the cross? No. Our understanding falls far short. But we can understand, I believe, as we look this morning, at least four things about the cross. First, we can understand Jesus' acceptance of the cross. The question raised and answered at Caesarea Philippi had to do with the identity of Jesus. Having accepted the disciples' confession of him as the Christ, Jesus moved next to indicate the way which was his and theirs to follow. Matthew records that Jesus thrice declared that it would be by way of the cross. The way of utter self-denial and self-giving. The deepest paradox of the gospel is set forth here. One saves life by losing it. He lives only by dying. The one true triumph is through the cross. Paradoxically, the cross is a way of death. But it is for Jesus and his followers the way of life through death. We cannot pinpoint the time when Jesus first knew that following the Father's will would ultimately take him to the cross. But surely he knew at the time of his baptism. Just as baptism pictures a death, burial, and resurrection in our own spiritual experience, so Jesus' baptism prefigured the cardinal events in his own redemptive ministry, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Certainly Jesus knew God's plan for a cross when he fought that great battle with Satan in the wilderness. The devil was willing for him to be a Messiah, but not God's Messiah following God's plan. At the time of this titanic struggle, Jesus had already accepted the cross as God's way. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he knew of the cross and had accepted it. Challenged to show a sign when he first cleansed the temple, he replied, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And John is careful to tell us, but he spoke of the temple of his body. In Gethsemane, when Peter tried to defend his master with a sword, Jesus asked, The cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? Here was both the motive and the motto of his entire life. The cross was his choice. The Son of Man, Mark chapter 8 verse 31, teaches must suffer. And I believe when the question was asked of the disciples, I'm not so sure that Jesus was quite as concerned about what others were thinking as he was about what the disciples were thinking about him. 
Because when it comes right down to it, the question for us is, who do you think Jesus is? What I believe about Jesus isn't essential to what you believe about Jesus in your personal life. Jesus was turning the question to them in such a way that they had to respond with who they thought Jesus was. And he asked us the same question today. He wants to know who we think he is. We can understand second history's vindication of the cross. Jesus began to show that his going to Jerusalem to suffer and die was something that he must do. It was a necessity within freedom, not from outward compulsion, but inner. Moved by redeeming love, this was something that he had to do. It was not an inescapable fate, for the door of escape remained open to the last. But his complete devotion to human need and to the Father's will drove him onward to the cross and the glory beyond. An unknown author has written these very appropriate words about the suffering of Christ. It is well that we should think sometimes of the upper room and of the last supper and his soul exceeding sorrowful unto death, of Gethsemane, the deep shadow of the olive trees, his loneliness, prayers and disappointment with his disciples, his bloody sweat, the traitor's kiss, the bonding, the blow in the face, the spitting, the buffeting, the mocking, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the smiting, the sorrowful way, burdensome cross. The exhaustion and collapse, the stripping, the impaling, the jeers of his foes, the flight of his friends, the hours on the cross, the darkness, his being forsaken of God, his thirst, and the end. The cross is not simply an event of 2,000 years ago. It is a spiritual fact now. We are involved. Jesus' choice of the cross as God's way to redeem humankind has been vindicated by human experience through the centuries. As the mythical mountain of lodestone was supposed to have magnetic properties so powerful that objects that came near were drawn irresistibly to it, so Christ by His cross has exerted a magnetic influence on all succeeding generations. He predicted this effect in John chapter 12. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to me. It is impossible to treat Calvary as just another grim episode in history. No other death has so affected us. There was and is a cosmic aspect to Calvary. Because the cross shows us something about ourselves. The cross reveals our sin. It reveals the tendencies, the deep-seated conditions within us that cause us spiritual death. It makes the Christian gospel intelligible. A radical rebellion settled deeply in human nature called for the most drastic action on God's part to meet and overcome it. But not only does the cross reveal our sin, it also reveals God's love. At the cross, God meets us in love. Jesus had said in words that God is love, but it was on the cross that these words took fire and burned. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. 
every generation finds the cross to be its accuser as well as its means to salvation. Third, we can understand God's victory through the cross. Peter spoke for the group in refusing to consider the suffering and death as the lot of the Messiah. They shared the Jewish expectation that the Messiah would defeat the enemies of Israel and restore the kingdom of Israel. Peter presumed to correct Jesus for what to him was an unnecessary pessimism and a contradiction of accepted ideas of the Messiah. We read very clearly in verse 22, Then Peter took him aside. Took him may describe an action in which Peter drew Jesus aside or drew Jesus to himself, implying intention to offer protection or even, even protective custody to him. You see, Peter was like us. He wanted Jesus to be the Jesus that he wanted on his terms. Not on God's terms. And so he called Jesus, or he took him aside. Jesus found it necessary to rebuke Peter more severely than Peter had rebuked him. Having earlier attributed Peter's confession to divine revelation, he now brands Peter's protest as satanic. The Aramaic behind the Greek words rendered get behind me could mean get back or get away. Probably Jesus felt the force of the wilderness temptations come to expression again in Peter's contention for a Messiah without suffering and death. Peter was wrong. And Jesus again had to put him behind this suggestion of political messiahship. Peter's suggestion was a hindrance to Jesus, something over which to stumble. The messianic goals envisioned by Peter belonged to human purposes and not God's. They, after all, wanted deliverance from the oppressive Roman government. They wanted deliverance then and now without an understanding of the larger picture of the cross. But isn't that like us as human beings? Our world and our thinking is very small. But Jesus had a larger plan at play. In many ways, it was a case of mistaken identity on the part of Peter for Jesus. He had been with him all that time. He had confessed that he was the Lord. And yet, he did not want to allow him to go to the cross. You've mistaken other people. Before, haven't you? You've been in places where you thought someone was someone else and you may have embarrassed yourself from time to time and gone up to them thinking they are someone else. Over 30 years ago now, I recalled this in the first service and so I'll tell you the story as well. When Janet and I were still in Louisville, we used to like to go to a restaurant called Carew's, not too far from the seminary, um, out towards St. Matthew's. And we went there maybe once a week or so, and on this spring we were in love, and so we spent a lot of time just looking at one another and talking. And they put us over against the they put us over against the wall one day opposite the door where you come into the restaurant. 
and we were in our own little world. And some woman came in the entrance and started to yell across the restaurant the name Kathleen. She said it three or four times, Kathleen. And finally, Janet realized she was talking to her. And so when Janet acknowledged the woman, the woman said, aren't you Kathleen? And Janet said, no. And so the woman sheepishly made her way to her seat. But everybody in the restaurant knew who we were after that. And Janet was not Kathleen. So mistaken identity is an easy thing for many people. But here the disciples had been with Jesus all this time. And they had in their mind who they thought he should be. And how he should act. And what his purpose was. And he turned that upside down. In earthly terms... The cross is not a sign of God's majesty and power, but an unforgettable reminder of the lengths to which he will go to bring people to him. To God be the glory and victory through the cross. As great and powerful as symbols can be, the cross was more than a symbol. It was an action. Jesus did something that he could do alone. What did he achieve? He bore the shame of our sin, rebellion, and failure. In the cross, He made available forgiveness, redemption, and release. What He did in that intimate identification with humanity, in its sin and sorrow, He still does today. For this reason, we have hope, confidence, and assurance. This divine Christ takes away the sins of the world by his union with every sinner who by faith will receive him. Humankind is not deserted. God still ministers to our need. The cross is a victorious, eternal fact. And then the fourth thing we can understand is our salvation by the cross. Through the cross, God has given us His earnest concern to save us from sin and death. This is not just one philosophy of life among many others. This is the gospel, the good news. Jesus insisted upon the necessity of the cross, not only for Himself, but also for His followers. The cross could prove to be literal or not. It represents a real way of life through death to self for each disciple. Because what did he say in verse 24? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And for some, that cross was literal, wasn't it? And for others, it was suffering of another variety. You see, the disciples wanted a Messiah who would come and deliver them, but they did not want what went with it. Although the cross always reminds us of Jesus' death, the philosophy of the cross is a philosophy of life. The cross is life through death. It is finding a new way of life in rejecting the way of self-trust, self-love, and self-assertion. Our salvation, our peace, our fulfillment of God's purpose for us begins with our acceptance of Him who died for us. 
Salvation is of God alone. As Paul puts it, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Salvation is not anything we can do. It is what God has done for us through the cross. God will give this gift of salvation to anyone who believes, to anyone who puts his trust in the crucified Christ. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not me, but Christ lives within me. We are asked to understand the price that was paid for our redemption. Some missionaries were talking about Christianity to Mahatma Gandhi. He said to them, what hymn would you suggest to me which summarizes what you believe? They conferred for a while and then said, when I survey the wondrous cross. There's a great difference between realizing on that cross he was crucified for me and on that cross I am crucified with him. The one aspect brings us deliverance from sin's condemnation. The other from sin's power. But let's be clear. Christ died because he would die. Other people admitted to the dignity of martyrdom are willing to die. But they die by the torments of their executioners. They cannot bid their souls go out and say, now I will die. And this was Christ's case. It was not only I lay down my life for my sheep, but he also says, no one can take away my soul and I have power to lay it down. He did die before the torments could have exhorted his soul from him. Many crucified men lived many days on a cross. The thieves were alive long after Christ was dead and therefore Pilate And we know this because it's scriptural wondered that he was already dead. His soul did not leave his body by force, but because he would and when he would and how he would. Christ did not die naturally nor violently as all others do, but only voluntarily. Oh, he died. He died a human death. But he did it because he chose to. He did it because it was God's plan. I'm always amazed at the portraits that are the Gospels. They have a story to tell from their own perspective. And you know in some of the Gospels we read of the story of the one who helped Jesus carry his cross. You know the story. But when you read in John, Jesus' way to the cross, there's no such reference to anyone carrying Jesus' cross. And that's deliberate. John wanted us to see very clearly that what Jesus was doing, he chose to do. He did it for us. As we come together today, we remember Jesus' cross. But we do more than remember. 
The cross is the most relevant, most contemporary thing in life. All people must come to terms with that cross that stands to accuse them, to welcome their return to God. The question is, have we come to terms with Jesus? Have we answered the question, who do you say I am? For when we come to terms with Jesus in that way, we are beginning to come to terms with his cross. So the question for us is, who do you say Jesus is? Have you allowed him to cleanse your life, to show you the power of salvation through his death and by his resurrection? Have you come to terms with the Messiah that God has for us in Jesus Christ? Are you still trying to decide who Jesus is? He came to die so that we could live. Shall we pray? Oh, Father, we only scratch the surface of an understanding of the cross. It's far too, too difficult for us to come to terms with the cost of our sins. And yet, we find hope in the cross. We seek deliverance in the cross. We come to terms with who Jesus is in the cross. Help us, Father, to contemplate who Jesus is as we move forward in his name. Amen. When I survey the wondrous cross is our hymn of invitation, hymn number 100. 44. I always email my sermon to Brenda each week, and um, I did even though she's not here this week, but she still picked the music, and I said, I have an illustration in my sermon, I think, begs to have When I Survey the Wondrous Cross as the closing uh, hymn. So we sing that this morning as we contemplate that cross in our lives. Will you stand as we sing?
What a joy it is to be together in the house of the Lord on this day that he has given to us. We had 114 in the first service, 187 in Sunday school, and then you're here today as we conclude our time together on this Sunday morning. Uh, two weeks from today, remember, we are going to rededicate our Family Life Center in both services, and then following this, this worship service, we will have a uh, potluck meal in the uh, uh, Family Life Center to celebrate that. And also we're going to piggyback on another celebration with her permission and actually at her suggestion. Martha Loving's last day with us is a month from today, the 19th of, of uh, April. And so we want to recognize her years of service here upon her retirement. And so we're going to do that and allow people to greet her in that time together on that Sunday morning. And we'll also get cake out of it. Okay, so we'll have cake uh, as well uh, for that. So I um, wanted to pass it on to you so you'd be aware that we are going to do something. And again, that was in uh, conferring with her, and that's what she would like to do. And so I think that's a, a good way to do that. So uh, keep that in mind for two weeks uh, from today. This is the last full day of winter. At least that's what the weatherman said this morning. So we'll just sit back and see what happens, won't we? Um, 